My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Shack House is brought to you, friends, by Callaway's new Steelhead XR irons. These irons take design cues from the old school, beautiful Steelhead X14s one of the most popular irons of all time. I love that shape. And of course, added to that legendary shape is Callaway's new 360 face cut cup technology for the combination of speed, forgiveness, distance, and control you've come to expect from Callaway's R&D department. Callaway, the number one irons in golf. Today on Shack House, the BGA Tour playoffs are underway. The Ryder Cup fun is getting going and getting juicy and political. And we have a great special guest and Ted Bishop, former PGA of America president, who is going to discuss with us all things Ryder Cup, a lot of juicy stuff in his new book, Unfriended. Welcome to the Shack House. We are back after a week off and um, in the midst of playoff fever house. Are you able to cope with the the pressure and the thrills of PGA Tour playoff golf? Uh, what? <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit of a downer after the Olympics, isn't it? Well, it's, you know, the Olympics ended up being such uh, an unexpected and unanticipated, both on the men's side and the women's side, um, both the, the, the performances and the narratives exceeded all expectations. So there's natural letdown. And fortunately, we had a PGA event in there that was the Wyndham event um, to kind of catch our collective breath. This week was... Uh, a pretty terrific tournament at a pretty terrific venue. What did you think about Beth Page uh, and Patrick Reed's performance there? Yeah, it was kind of an ugly ending, but you know, four days at Beth Page Black will do that to anybody. I was just so happy, House, for Beth Page to finally have a tournament where it could show off 
the the venue and sunshine and firm ground and and I think the greens were okay. They looked a little peaked on Sunday, but yeah, every tournament that's been there has been marred by either rain or bad course setups or more bad course setups and more rain. And it's always been sort of a a dreary kind of uh, feeling afterwards. And so, uh, you know, the fans got a little silly there at the end. But I just thought the golf course, even though I, I can't stand to look at some of those bunkers, but it just looks so good. The, it kind of had that Pine Valley thing going at, in, with the, the eighth hole, the par three over the water. And uh, it just it just looked super. And the guys were... Yeah, they were hitting good shots, and it just was one of those things. Nobody at the end kind of, uh, other than Patrick Reese, sort of holding on. But, you know, that's not the end of the world sometimes. We get spoiled, I think, by these tournaments that end with such thrills. And sometimes it's just like the car that, that uh, doesn't crash into the wall that, uh, that wins. And uh, it's not my favorite kind of golf to watch, but a golf course like that set up the way it was, that's probably what should happen. And yeah, that's... Yeah, that's the that's right. Every once in a while, it's okay if the golf course wins, right? It doesn't have yeah. to be um, the players going out at at, uh, at um, in the in the Open Championship and shooting twenty three under, or at you know Jimmy Walker at at Baltusrol, you know, shooting in the mid teens. Um, yeah, it's okay for the course to to, to win one. Yeah, and uh, it's it's different when it wins one like that. Whereas uh, there's a setup issue where the rough is silly and it just becomes a chop out fest and the rough was tough there but it it didn't define the tournament the golf course sort of defined the tournament and just just being a great exam and uh i i was uh, i was really happy for them and so i i, I my only my only uh, concern is that when they do host the um pga and the Ryder cup that maybe we have a you know seventh inning cutoff on the on the, the alcohol sales because it was getting a little bit shaky there and I think that was it's funny that was one of the things people mentioned about the Olympic golf how happy they were to not have a crowd um, yelling weird stuff on backswings and mashed potato or whatever, whatever yeah it was it was noticeable that that was absent at the Olympics yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you manage a New York crowd um, yeah. at Beth Page I, I guess you could try and limit alcohol sales but uh, I don't know part of that is is the charm Everyone, I you guess. know, it's once every every handful of years that Beth Page hosts an event, and it's it's a course for the people, and the people come out. So I'm I'm okay with it every in in limited doses. Yeah, they just have to watch it at the Ryder Cup because you don't want somebody doing something that impacts the the outcome. That's I, I don't mind the the uh, the, the pro USA stuff and, and a little bit of heckling of uh, somebody who you know Ian Poulter kind of dishing it out and the crowd dishing it back, but you just don't want it to to get to where. Yeah. It, you want it it's to be gonna, the players like Justin Leonard sprinting up the green after making a putt that didn't even win the the, the match against Olathabel. That, that's that's okay. Oh, now, oh boy, you 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 really you've been listening to way too many of the Europeans. You know they still they still talk about that. God, let it go. Uh, all right. So now, speaking of golf courses that are defining an event, well, uh, the, this week we're recording this on Tuesday of Deutsche Bank week, and the, the, this is, I believe, the last Deutsche Bank championship under that name. Uh, it's been it's become kind of a Labor Day tradition of starting on Friday and ending on Monday and and the golf course at TPC Boston has produced great finishes before and after Gil Hans's redo. It's an Arnold Palmer original design and uh, it's it's one of those if you looked at on Paper House you wouldn't have expected this tournament to succeed because the course is kind of remote. It's not really connected to to Boston. 
Uh, it was an Arnold Palmer course that, that wasn't very good. It had no New England feeling whatsoever, and that's kind of what Gill tried to inject while also working within a lot of confines of, of members' needs and golf course needs. And so it's it's become this event where it just seems to always produce these great finishes, and maybe it it does favor the long hitters a little bit more than other golf courses. But uh, I'm glad. I feel like the tour has saved it. We'll get more details this week, but I feel like they've saved the event and it's going to continue in this this slot going forward. And I mean, is that a fair assessment of kind of how you you view this? this yeah, week? I, I have come to really enjoy this event. I love how it falls on the calendar. It's a perfect time in New England. I'm actually in New England right now on my summer break. Finally, oh. um, the weather up here is spectacular. It, it's barely going to touch 80 degrees on on any of these days this week. And I especially like this event as a kind of end of summer um, tournament where, where it falls on the calendar that Friday to Monday has developed kind of a uh, an end of summer feel to it. You know, it's a it's a it's a benchmark uh, moment in the in the golf calendar and also just sort of on the on the calendar here in the U.S. And it precedes the arrival of football. So it gets its own kind of moment. It's a nice, lazy way to spend Labor Day. It's nice to have golf on on Labor Day. And the, the course itself has been producing these great finishes. Uh, we have a conversation with Ted Bishop today, um, and he talks a little bit about uh, Chris Kirk and Billy Horschel in, in 2014, and that um, Billy Horschel laying the sod on 18 um, is one of the all-time interesting moments uh, in this tournament. It produces interesting finishes. It does, and uh, I credit both the Arnold Palmer group and Gil for doing that and just kind of the routing, and, and Gil's just brought the New, New England element. He's he's now going to fix the 12th and 13th holes after the tournament this year, which were two of the last greens that were sort of remnants of the old course, and they're, they're uh, two potentially really great holes, so I can't wait to see what he does with that. But uh, let's be honest, House, nobody cares about the playoff ramifications going into this, and, and, and in a Ryder Cup year, that makes the, the playoffs just look – you know, this year could have gone a couple of ways. It, 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 the, the Olympics could have been a dud and we would have been sort of welcoming these playoffs. But really, when you get away from not just the Olympic golf, but the competition in so many other Olympic sports and other than gymnastics and a few of these where you have judges diving, uh, it's just pure athletic competition. And then you come back to this, the playoffs, the plugs for everything known to man, the algorithms and all these ramifications that are just not that interesting. Uh, mercifully, we have the Ryder Cup to to look to and the politics of that because <laughs> it's far more interesting, I feel, to kind of anticipate what's going into these matches and the egos and the politics and the bickering. And and I really thought this year was going to be a fairly bland one going in, but it, it looks like Davis Love and Darren Clark are going to come through in, in ways I hadn't expected in making this uh, a traditional Ryder Cup where it, the hoopla, the, 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 the weird behavior is, is part of the, the spectacle. So Darren Clark made his picks this morning. We're recording yes. Tuesday, August the 30th. He went with Keimer, Westwood, and Peters. I don't think either one of us really could take issue with uh, Westwood or Peters. Peters has been unbelievable. The curious one I think we both agree on is 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 Keimer. And to me personally, I just can't fathom how you can leave Russell Knox off a team based on the year that he's had. 
yeah. uh, and in, in in his in his place put Chimeron, who's had a couple of nice moments. He had a pretty good PGA uh, performance. He was okay in the Olympics, but clearly that's a, a selection onto the rider, the Euro Ryder Cup team based on his experience. And it's really interesting choosing experience over a guy who's just been clicking in top 10 after top five, and then he had the win three weeks ago at the Travelers. How can you leave Russell Knox off? <laughs> well, this is where the politics are really fun in the whole Ryder Cup thing. They just treat it so differently in Europe. You know, Martin Keimer is a hero for life for, for sinking a winning putt to, to seal the, the fate of the Americans at Medina. Uh, he has always been a very positive Ryder Cup presence, uh, presence to them. And he has sort of now shifted his uh, allegiance back to the European tour. And I don't think you can underestimate how much that plays a role in these decisions. It's why Paul Casey has essentially just stayed out of the whole thing and decided not to be part of it this year because he's likes living in the United States. He likes playing the PGA tour. And he knew, he knew if he, it came down to him and somebody else that he would not get picked because he's not, loyal to the European tour. And Russell Knox, to his credit, did a great job this year playing this sort of balanced schedule between the two tours. You can't really knock him. He's he's played an international schedule. He's moved up in the rankings to uh, 20th. And I don't think, though, that, that um, it helped him that he does split time, whereas Peters is loyal to the, the European tour. And then uh, you know, I'm, and I'm not quibbling in any way with Peters as a pick. He is a sensational player and is somebody who has the potential to to really develop and and house he hits the ball a mile i mean he 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 was hitting it past bubba in rio a few times when they played together and hazeltine's going to be really really long what what but house the, the 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 fun of this though is the fact that luke donald was apparently and i believe this was apparently going to be darren clark's third pick his all experience uh, a threesome of of uh, captains picks until Peters went and won the maiden Denmark on Sunday in pretty dramatic fashion, and the idea that Luke Donald, who was way down the list points wise, was going to make it off of a second at the Wyndham, and and he does have a great Ryder Cup record, but this golf course is so long, and I I just can't fathom that he was actually. Uh, a pick to the point where <clears throat> somebody uh, started popping into various William Hill outlets in Northeast England and plopping down t- uh, 20 pounds here and, and 100 pounds here and there. And that he was, uh, I don't know, I think he was at about, was he about six to one as a captain's pick? And then William Hill, somebody got suspicious. I'm assuming they looked at the security cameras and went, wait, I've seen that person before. And he bet on Luke Donald uh, two, two towns over. Um, this was just, I mean, this is the kind of stuff I love about the Ryder Cup, that this went on and and um, and it just raises a lot of questions about somebody knew something. Uh, I'm, somebody I'm, knew I'm, something. That was It was an <laughs> incredible story. I love that William Hill shut it down. How about how how impressive, you know, how sophisticated that they were uh, tracking because they were the yeah. denominations. Uh, no, they to weren't. The news that... reports were small. It wasn't somebody yeah. came in and flooded the market. Nobody splashed the pot on Luke Donald. <laughs> well, you do have to wonder who's 
who's betting on captain's picks anyway. So I guess any kind of activity on that. Probably oh, easy now, easy now. Gets their attention. Well, Look, this there's, <laughs> there's there's some odds available out there on the U.S. side. I might be uh, making. Look, you, if somebody gets hot in these next couple of weeks, you might see a little allocation of capital out of house. Uh, yeah. Uh, on who? Uh, I just don't know whoever? yet. I don't know. You're just, I, you're just you gonna know, watch. What, yeah. what if somebody like Daniel Berger or or my man Gary Woodland, one of those guys, gets super hot, rips off a couple wins? I think the one that Davis has the infatuation with is Justin Thomas. He gave that away a little bit that he's he's ignored. And we get into this in our chat with with uh, Ted Bishop uh, that he he telegraphed things a little bit there by saying that he is ignoring basically the task force uh, that the PGA put together to lay out all these new guidelines and is really giving Justin Thomas a lot of a lot more weight than the points are are giving him which is just another this is another unbelievable thing so i don't know how many people followed this it wasn't interesting but they create this task force to lay out all these ways that you need to play your way onto the Ryder cup team and now davis love who who was part of the task force admitted on monday he's he's just pretty much throwing out a big part of that because uh, he just doesn't really like the way the the uh, the points are breaking down for justin thomas uh, i don't understand the, i don't understand the justin thomas infatuation at all oh really he, okay he, he, he's he's hmm. fine he's been good but i wouldn't i would have i can name five guys i'd rather have ahead of justin thomas right now uh, and I, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll name them. I mean, I'd rather have Gary Woodland, who's been, you know, uh, right near the top uh, a whole a whole series of events, including good performances in the majors this year. Um, I like what Daniel Berger's done. He got hurt, uh, which is the only thing that that kind of took away some of the momentum from the W that he produced down at the St. St. Jude. Bill Haas has been pretty damn good lately and has a nice record uh, in, the, in the international play. Uh, and I can name a couple others. I'm not going to. Um, but I, I, I'm not sure. what. Where's this Justin Thomas love coming from? Uh, if I had to guess, I'd say it was just that the young guys, and Paul Casey touched on this in the whole debate over rookies and all that stuff, that there's a sense, and I agree with it, that the 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 younger players the millennial uh, generation here is a little better equipped for the Ryder Cup they've they've kind of grown up seeing what a spectacle it is they know it's going to be insane they're excited about it uh, and there's definitely a feeling that some of these younger players are just not going to really act like rookies when they get there and I think Davis feels like he's one of those people who's going to to to, to kind of eat up the whole thing the way Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed did, but I think there's also just as much danger that he he wants it so bad, he loves it so much that he may just try a little bit too hard, and we've also seen that happen at the Ryder Cup. Well, uh, I, now he, he should just play better if he wants to be on well, the Ryder Cup. Then, then, <laughs> then I mean, look there at is this. that since June, he uh, he was yeah. a, since his his T three at the Players, he missed the cut at the Memorial. He had he tied for 32nd at the U.S. Open. He tied for 12th at Congressional at the Quicken Loans. T33 at the Bridgestone. T33. Yeah, that's a killer, by the way. <laughs> There's only there were only like what 55 players right, this year. Right. He, he he tied for 53rd in the Open Championship. He tied for 66th at the PGA Championship. I mean, the most impressive thing he's done here in the last month, he tied for third at the Travelers and tied for 10th at, at Barclays this, this most recent 
uh, event. But, you know, that's not a resume that makes me get up out of my seat and say, yeah, that's, that's one of my 12. But how's he's on Snapchat? He's cool, man. He's he's snapping. He's got a playoff mustache. He's got which a we're gonna, he, yeah, he's got a ma- mascara applied <laughs> mustache. I, I mean, the homie can't grow. Let's be honest. Look, by the way, I just uh, I've been slightly killing just. I love Justin Thomas. Huge yeah, fan. Yeah, of no, Justin I know Thomas. what you. Yeah, no, I know, I know. But I, you know, if, for for the purposes of of trying to uh, right or wrong to redirect the ship that has been steered steered and veered so far off course, and we're talking about the Ryder Cup, we need twelve horses, and I don't think yeah. he's a ho- he's quite a horse yet. And JB Holmes is one of those players I think that excites a captain to throw out there in uh, best ball to. Because when he is playing well, he and he can attack a course and he can hit as far as he does, and a place like Hazeltine that will help. I think that's just a it's an attractive element. Um, well, that's now, my guy. I hope he sticks and Furyk remains um, where yeah, he's already well, stationed, he which is assistant captain, riding in a golf cart. Starts using a deodorant stick, uh, JP. That that's his. I think that's where he needs to fit in the team room a little better. He's uh, not a fan of uh, yeah. That and it is. I don't uh, care. He hits the ball. You know, that is his yards. nickname. JB. Stick it up, JB. Uh, <laughs> um, all right. Uh, before we get to Ted Bishop, uh, just a word from a few of our sponsors, and then I want to explain wh- who Ted Bishop is and why he's on the show, in case you don't know. Hey, friends, a word from our great partner at Callaway, makers of Patrick Reed's driver, Henrik Stenson's driver, and the Chrome Softball that won all over the world last weekend. They are makers now of the brand new Big Bertha Fusion driver, which was just announced today, Tuesday, the day we're taping this show. And we are the first to tell you a little bit about the Fusion. It's a massively forgiving driver, specially built for straighter flight on mishits. And that means more fairways hit, and you guessed it, more distance off the tee. The Big Bertha Fusion achieves maximum forgiveness based on a pretty cool design. It has an incredible titanium exo cage. That's EXO cage. Picture the shell of a race car that is paired with ultralight carbon composite in the crown and even in some parts of the sole of the driver. This means a lighter overall body that allows more weight to be placed in the areas you need it most for distance and control on that occasional off-center impact because we know every once in a while we all miss it just a little bit off the center of the club. So that's the new Big Bertha Fusion, a material change in distance and forgiveness. Go to your nearest demo day or retailer to check it out soon and don't hesitate to go to CallawayGolf.com to check out some photos of the new Big Bertha Fusion. And also a word from our friends at Trunk Club. You know, there are two types of guys out there. Those guys who love shopping for clothes. I don't know, there aren't very many of them, but they're uh, short on time. And then there are those who are the majority and they just hate it. Uh, either way, take heart. You can get clothes that fit perfectly, look amazing, and never have to step in a store again thanks to Trunk Club. Trunk Club makes it easy to look your best in clothes that fit you perfectly, and they're handpicked by your personal stylist. And let me tell you, I've been to their outlet here in Los Angeles, and these stylists are absolutely first rate, and they bring the style. So go to trunkclub.com house. Type in your measurements. Just share your likes and dislikes. They're, they're kind of fun, easy questions to answer. And you'll get your own personal stylist. Uh, they'll pick your clothes from over 80 top brands, and they use some unbelievable stuff. Uh, and, and my trunk, I couldn't believe the quality of the things I got. They'll ship that to your door. 
you keep what you like you send back what you don't want it's not a subscriber uh, situation where they're just going to keep inundating you clothes you just at, at the times you want you pick what you need you tell them what you're looking for you know if you want a golf outfit you're going on a golf trip they can put together that uh, your stylist takes the time to understand your look uh, and of course if you live in dallas new york los angeles chicago dc and pretty soon charleston you can just go into one of their clubhouses meet a stylist in person and they have these cool little demo areas it's a great experience they got a little bar have a nice relaxing afternoon and talk style if it's something you just aren't too thrilled to do uh, these people make it a lot of fun again not a subscription service shipping's free and you've got five days to try on the clothes risk-free uh, and these stylists are just trained in all facets of fashion and they have very very perceptive eyes to uh, detect what it is you're looking for and best of all trunk club is backed by nordstrom which means they have the highest standards and quality and customer service so get started at trunkclub.com house that's trunkclub.com house and uh, one other point, I have already just done my first Trunk Club gift certificate for somebody, and this is not something they mentioned as uh, they'd like us to mention, but I think it's a great gift if you've got somebody you know who isn't big on shopping or uh, uh, just is kind of, you're looking for a little different kind of gift, trunkclub.com. Cool, cool gift to give somebody. Give them a little credit, let them have some fun, and uh, it's not a lot of work. All right, how so... Ted Bishop, uh, I've known now for a few years, uh, just seen him at golf tournaments, and uh, he's a very interesting guy. Uh, I think got a very uh, uh, unfortunate and unfair uh, rap for for a stupid little comment, and I and I I didn't mean to use little, but he 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 got into a, a Twitter spat uh, and a Facebook spat with Ian Poulter, and uh, it was one of those goofball things that that snowballed and, and got picked up in, in news things all over the world. And uh, I think it was really unfortunate. He had about 28 days to go in his pres- presidency. I thought he brought amazing energy to the PGA of America, an organization that needed it and still needs it. I feel like they've kind of kind of flatlined a little bit post-Ted. And uh, so he's written a new book, Unfriended. And, uh, you know, the the title of the book probably would be, I could see where some people would not, pick it up because they see that title and they think, well, this is just going to be Ted ranting and raving about uh, getting getting uh, kind of a bad deal. It's uh, unfriended power brokers, political correctness and hypocrisy in golf. And But we have him on today because one of the best parts of the book, besides being this great little study of how to handi- handle a media situation, being a total behind-the-scenes look at, at these uh, big egos in golf and how it all works. Uh, I think the uh, the best part of the book, though, are all of Ted's memories as an officer and then as president of the PGA of America behind the scenes at the Ryder Cup and involved with uh, captain selections and all that. So... Uh, I, he's a he's a he's a very interesting guy, and uh, I think you'll uh, you'll enjoy the conversation uh, as much as we did in, in having it with him. So here's our our chat with Ted Bishop. Joining us now is Ted Bishop, the former president of the PGA of America, 38th president of the PGA of America, and general manager of the Legends Golf Club. Ted, uh, welcome to the show. Congratulations on your new book, Unfriended. We uh, talked about it a little bit before we started this interview, um, House and I did, and I've just finished the book, and uh, it's a sensational read, and so uh, we, we appreciate you coming on to talk about it. Well, Jeff and Joe, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, be with you guys and, and talk about the book. But uh, just, in, you know, I enjoy your podcast and everything you do for golf. 
Well, thank you. Uh, you know, we really we were going to save you for uh, a little closer to the Ryder Cup, Ted, to be honest. But uh, w- things have been shaping up in a fascinating way already with this with this Ryder Cup. Uh, I, f- I did not expect to have some of the uh, dramas that we're already starting to see and the politicking and all the good stuff. And so when I was reading your book and then juxtaposing that against uh, Davis Love and Darren Clark and what's going on. I think it's it's appropriate for you to kind of be able to to speak to what's uh, what goes into the Ryder Cup. And so, uh, if you could just kind of uh, set up for us what the president and the officers of the PGA of America do in relation to the Ryder Cup and picking captains and all that good stuff. You you do a very nice job in the book. But for our listeners, just kind of give us an overview of of that role. Well, I think that's uh, it's an interesting question, Jeff, because I don't think the the way that uh, that I did it and my predecessors did it is probably the way it's going to be done in in the future. But uh, you know, in the past, um, the criteria for the PGA of America had always been a uh, Ryder Cup captain needed to be in their mid to late 40s. They needed to be someone that had uh, been a major champion and someone that had played on multiple Ryder Cup teams and. Uh, you know, if you go way back in time, uh, you know, some of the uh, early Ryder Cup captains, uh, probably even into the 50s and, and maybe even early 60s, were always former PGA champions. So mm. that was kind of the unofficial criteria. And I know when I became an officer of the PGA of America in 2008, um, I remember Julius Mason, uh, I kind of asked him that same question you just asked me. And uh you know, tongue-in-cheek, uh, Julius is our director of media relations. Uh, you know, he had said, well, we have a, a napkin here at the PGA of America that uh, one of our high-profile players has written the chronological order of the Ryder Cup captains on, and uh, that's kind of the, the model that we, you know, stick with. And uh, and I think that that was probably uh, – there was more truth there than, than fiction, to be mm. honest with you. And in 2014 – uh, I think the next guy that was on that list uh, would have been David Toms. And, right. uh, you know, from my standpoint, I guess I started thinking about the Ryder Cup really the day that I was elected president, particularly the 2014 Ryder Cup. And, uh, you know, knowing that we were going to play in Scotland and uh, certainly the success that Tom Watson had had as a player in Scotland, winning five major championships there. Um, and the fact that he was the last winning Ryder Cup captain we had on foreign soil. You know, the the choice seemed to be almost a no-brainer in, in 2014 to go with Tom. Now, I think going forward with the advent of this, this task force, I don't know that PGA officers, quite truthfully, are really going to have any uh, say-so whatsoever in, in the choice of, of Ryder Cup captains. I think that the task force is going gonna, is gonna to pretty much tell the PGA of America who those captains need to be. And uh, and I think, you know, to a degree that's kind of unfortunate because I don't think that the PGA of America over the years really made any bad choices uh, as captains. I mean, I know there's been Ryder Cups where we lost soundly, but uh, I remember having a conversation with Tiger Woods uh, when we were looking at uh, former captains to put on that task force, and he talked about Tom Lehman. And uh, he said, you know, I know we got drilled when we were at, uh, at the K-Club in Ireland, but he said, honestly, Tom might have been the best Ryder Cup captain I ever played for. So, wow. uh, you know, I, I, that's kind of my take on it right now. All right. So now you were involved with Davis Love's selection in 2012 when you were an officer. And I think I, one of the things that just jumped out 
to me in the book. You you really loved working with Davis, and it, it was a great experience, and he, he seemed to have done a great job. And, and like you said, they, they, they really haven't been that many. It's hard to say there have been bad captains because you, you can't control what goes on on the golf course. However, he did take some blame for some hole locations there. And um, you, you discuss in the book about his decision to pick uh, Jim Furyk over Hunter Mahan. But the thing that struck me in the news uh, recently this week uh, with, with Davis speaking, and, and this is what I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on, you, you've mentioned the task force that was, was put together after the losing Ryder Cup in 2014. And one of the findings of that task force was they decided to no longer award points to uh, fall PGA Tour events. And then Davis uh, made some odd comments to me in that he said, one, he's looking very hard at analytics going into this next Ryder Cup here in, at uh, Hazeltine. And then he also, in, in the same press conference, said he basically doesn't like the analytics of the new point system that this task force has sort of saddled him with. And I, I'm just curious how you read that, that he's already kind of throwing the task force uh, aside, but then also getting so deep into these numbers. What, what, is this a reaction to the, to the way he worked last time? You know, I think uh, I, I, I quoted a story um, in the book, and I talked about uh, Steve Stricker had relayed this story to me, Jeff, about uh, the meeting that took place on the Saturday night at Medina before the singles matches. And uh, Steve talked about all the guys that were in the room he and Tiger and Phil and Furyk and all the assistant captains, and they were talking about the lineup and the order for the following day. And, and, and you know, Steve said it was just uh, basically, um, you know, uh, analysis and paralysis, you know, tied together. Too many <laughs> too many opinions, yeah. too many things going on in, in the room. And I think uh, if there's – I love Davis Love. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. He was, in my opinion, a great captain, as you said. But I think if there's one – uh, thing that uh, he is susceptible to, it's overthinking the situation. And I've watched all those same interviews here in the last week or two myself. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I felt really responsible for in 2014 was bringing the fall series into the Ryder Cup points. And uh, I know that was a big deal at the time to Tim Fincham. And ironically, it was also a big deal to Davis Love because Tim and I made that announcement at the McGladry mm, in the fall right. of 2013. And uh, so I, certainly Davis's own tournament would have benefited from that. And, uh, you know, I heard some of the same comments Davis made about Justin Thomas and yeah. uh, talking about his FedEx Cup points that at the time he was ranked 10th and he was 25th in Ryder Cup points. And and Justin would be a, a classic uh, player, along with Kevin Kisner, of, of guys who really did not benefit from this change in schedule. And I said from the from the get go, I, I felt like that Phil uh, Mickelson was really responsible for the way this thing was revamped. I thought that giving half points for the WGC events in the off year, uh, you know, certainly benefited him. He was a player that didn't play in the fall series, um, and. Uh, so the deck was kind of stacked in, in his favor. But I was just as shocked as you were to hear Davis go uh, really uh, 360 degrees off of what the task force had, had recommended. I, 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 yeah. I kind of laughed at, my, at, at that comment, and I thought, well, then why, why do we even have a task force? Yeah. Now, one of the things for me that was really interesting in reading kind of what's going on now and then reading your book 
is you get into the obvious uh, issues with sort of a generational divide that that occurred at twenty the twenty fourteen Ryder Cup with Tom Watson and, and his crew, uh, Ray Floyd, Andy North, and then sort of the new mentality. And I, I'm just fascinated by the comment that Davis Love made this week that uh, Patrick Reed was one of the people who kind of inspired him to really take these analytics more seriously, and it was a way for him to go to a player and convince them that they needed to play with somebody. And you have a great story in the book that you can probably tell better than I'll, I'll do it in the retelling, but where, where Webb Simpson asked Ray Floyd, uh, you know, who was your favorite person to play with? And Floyd's answer, I think, is very telling in that he comes from a generation where you should just be honored to be playing in the Ryder Cup and you go where the captain tells you to go. And now you have Davis Love looking to analytics to convince somebody uh, to play with somebody else, which I read as he needs numbers to convince somebody to play with certain players who play, people don't like to play with. But uh, uh, d- it, this generational divide, is that really what it's kind of coming down to, is convincing players that they, they uh, want to play with somebody? And, and, and is, that a, is that a bad sign for the U.S.? You know, I think it's a bad sign in, in, in general – for the Ryder Cup, and uh, you know, I remember, um, you know, I was with Nick Faldo, obviously, at the Greenbrier a um, couple weeks after the Ryder Cup, and um, this was at the height of when Watson was getting a lot of criticism. And you know, at dinner one night, Faldo said, "You know, I can't tell you how many times I would be at lunch uh, on Friday or Saturday, and uh, he said I would have no idea who my partner was going to be that afternoon. He said we could be playing alternate shot." We could have never played a practice round together. He said certainly the golf ball uh, that we were going to use was not an issue. And he said you never talked about it because it was the Ryder Cup. And that story that you mentioned about Raymond Floyd, I can remember it like it was yesterday. We were on the 11th green in a practice round at Glen Eagles, and they were showing a bunch of Ryder Cup highlights on the Jumbotron. And and Raymond was up there, and, and Webb Simpson walked up to Raymond, and he said, Raymond, he said, you know, in all the Ryder Cups that you played in, he said, you know, if you had to pick one guy, who would you want to be your partner? And, you know, Raymond looked at him with those beady eyes that he's got where he can just stare right <laughs> Ooh, through you. Yeah, said, I wouldn't want that look. He, 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 he folded, you know, he, he folded his arms and he looked at Webb and he said, Webb, this is the Ryder Cup. He said, you play with whoever they tell you to play with. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think you're kind of on to something. And, and uh it's it's curious to me, you know. I mean, my my experience with that fourteen Ryder Cup. One thing that was kind of interesting, you know, Neil Oxman, Tom's caddy, and of course many people just know him as Tom's caddy, but he's one of the foremost political strategists in the United States. Mm. Uh, he owns a company called the Campaign Group in Philadelphia. He caddies for Watson gratis and just does it because he likes to be around the game. But this guy's brilliant, and uh, you know, he started circulating articles to Tom and to Andy North and myself early in 2014 on millennials and, uh, you know, really tried to, um, in particular, make Tom and Andy understand how these people think. And, you know, Watson got criticized for this generation gap, but I can tell you without any reservations whatsoever, the people that were really looking forward to playing for him going into those right into that Ryder Cup were the younger players. I can't mm. tell you how many of those guys stopped me after we picked Tom or made comments to me in the lead up to the Ryder Cup. Man, I can't wait to play for Tom Watson. To play for a legend and icon, you know, how motivating 
is this going to be? And I got to be honest with you, I saw no generational problems at that 2014 Ryder Cup mm. until all hell broke loose on Saturday night in that team room with Phil Mickelson. And right. uh, then all of a sudden, it became an issue on Sunday night. And I said this in the book. I mean, there was there was talk within the PGA of America on. Tuesday of that Ryder Cup week, that if we won this thing, why would we not bring Tom Watson back as the Ryder Cup captain? So I, I just think there were a lot of things that, that, that took place over there that uh, created problems, but it's been interesting. Like you say, Davis is one of these guys that, you know, he wants he wants everybody to um, be all in, I think, on the decision. He, he really tries to build consensus uh, almost to a fault, wants everybody uh, to like him, which which they do, but uh, you know sometimes you just got to make tough decisions and 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 make people mad, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how all that unfolds. So Ted, you've mentioned the 2014 decision making uh, a couple different times here, and one of the things that always stuck out to me, uh, and I'm hoping that that we can avoid this year that this go around, um, Chris Kirk had won the uh, tournament in Boston, the one that's coming up this weekend. And immediately the day after, I got a call from Tom Watson with um, Tom telling Chris that he was not going to be on the team. And there were some stories that came out afterwards that uh, suggested that Webb Simpson had you know, kind of lobbied Watson a fair amount. And Kirk, uh, by contrast, had done no lobbying whatsoever um, but we missed out on both Chris Kirk and Billy Horschel, two players that were hot uh, going into the Ryder Cup um, and uh, instead had some guys that have never won a Sunday singles match, including Webb Simpson and Keegan Bradley and uh, Hunter Mahan. Um, the inclusion of the fall events lets Davis focus on guys that could come in with a hot hand. Do you think that might sway his thinking this go around? Well, let me just go back to Chris Kirk and Billy Horschel real quick. Um, you know, the uh, captain's pick announcements for the Ryder Cup of Glen Eagles were going to be on the Tuesday after Labor Day, which is the day after the final round of the Deutsche Bank. And, uh, and you're correct, Kirk won the tournament. I don't know if you recall how Kirk won the tournament, but he absolutely limped in on the 17th and 18th holes for the victory. Uh, despite the fact that Billy Horschel won the FedEx Cup that year, if you remember, he hit about uh, four inches behind his uh, his second shot on uh, the 18th hole, laid the sod over it, and uh, knocked it in the hazard in front of the the green and wound up uh, losing the tournament to uh, Kirk. And then, of course, he went on to win the next two events. And uh, I remember I was I was in New York in my hotel room. Tom was still in Kansas City. And I was kind of the, the statistician that Davis has referred to numerous times here in the last couple of weeks. And so I sent Watson a text, and I said, you want the numbers on Chris Kirk? And he texted me back, and he said, are you kidding me? He said the guy was choking his guts out the last two holes. And if if you recall the way he finished, uh, you know, I, I, I think that is what happened. But to your question about this year and the ability to uh, pick a player, you know, after the, the FedEx Cup finals are over, I think it's really interesting. I was looking at that list in preparation for this interview, and if you look at the – the five guys that are really kind of next right now in the in the points uh, in Fowler, Watson, Kuchar, Furyk, and and 
and well, I threw Furyk in there. JB Holmes would be the the fourth. Um, you know, it's doubtful. I'm going to say at this point in time that one of those guys is going to win the FedEx Cup. So then you look at the next group of ten guys that are out there, and it's Piercy, Haas, Berger, McGirt, Duffner, Chapel, Moore, Hoffman, Nah, Summer Hayes. And in those guys, it just seems like every Ryder Cup, these guys are all bunched in that 15th through 25th rung, and they never make the Ryder Cup team. And, of course, you got Kisner and Justin Thomas, who we've already talked a little bit about. So, you know, i I got to tell you, even though that last captain's pick is going to be after the uh, – the FedEx Cup finals are over with. I'm not so sure that it's going to take uh, that Sunday to to, to make mm. that choice based yeah. on what these these current points are. Which again, it's kind of interesting to me with all these revamps that have been done with the task force and the point <laughs> system. I think it's going to be a, a, a mute matter, really. Mm. Mm. Uh, now let's get on the topic of Furyk because you you uh, you wanted Hunter Mahan in 2012 uh, over Furyk. And you mentioned how close he and Davis are. Um, where do you see him playing into this Ryder Cup? And also, Ted, I think the golf course is, is a factor here. Uh, I was a little shocked by Luke Donald's possible inclusion on the European team because of his length off the tee and the length of Hazeltine. And I'm curious if you think that will play into the decision, say, if it comes down to Furyk and J.B. Holmes, for instance. Oh, I think, Jeff, I think it'll be a, a big factor in the decision. And I think that Jim Furyk is going to have to do something absolutely stupendous here in the next few weeks to, to play his way on that team. Uh, I, I just think, I, I mean, I think right now you can you can look at Ricky Fowler, Bubba Watson, Matt Kuchar, and J.B. Holmes, and you can just say those are going to be the last four guys that are going to be on this team unless something miraculous happens. I don't know how you guys feel. House, I know you're uh, you're you're not on the pro Furyk campaign. I believe is that correct? Well, we've seen plenty of Jim Furyk over the years in the Ryder Cup, <laughs> and he hasn't exactly distinguished himself. Uh, and you know what you particularly recall is the performance on Sunday at Medina. Uh, and I think the four guys that that Ted just ran through have, over the course of this season, distinguished themselves. I especially like the idea of having all three guys to go along with Patrick Reed that were on the U.S. Olympic team. I really like that narrative. Those are those are guys with a team focus, even though the competition down in the Olympics was uh, stroke play. They all participated in that, 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 that team environment, that team uh, uh, experience. And Ricky Fowler especially kind of took the lead, at least, you know, according to the way the, the media told the stories, in being kind of an ambassador for the U.S. team and really encouraging Bubba to participate in the full Olympi Olympic experience. So I very much um, like uh, Ricky's inclusion. The only guy I wonder about is J.B. Holmes, um, and that's just because he hasn't been in, in great form um, over the last couple tournaments. But um, that would be the only one, if Furyk got super hot, uh, that I, I could understand getting bumped out. What do you think, Ted? Well, the only th well, the only thing that I would say about uh, J.B. Holmes, you know, you look at his record, he's only played in one Ryder Cup, and that was at Valhalla, and he was two zero and one in that Ryder Cup. So you got you got a guy here that's that's never lost a Ryder Cup match, and due to the length of the golf course and his ability to drive it long, I, I think he's he's a guy that uh, you'd want to take a serious look at. I think the other thing that's interesting to me, if you analyze 
the eight players that the United States has on their team now, I mean, between Reed, Snedeker, Spieth, and Walker, these four guys have only played in one Ryder Cup. Yeah. Throw Holmes in the mix, he's only played in one. So you could conceivably have a United States team that uh, I know everybody talks about the six rookies that the Europeans have, but you could have a U.S. team that has five guys that are playing in their second Ryder Cup. And uh, as much as I love Ricky, uh, you know, his career Ryder Cup record is 0-3-5. and I mean, he's played eight Ryder Cup matches, and he's never won one. You know, the other thing that I thought was interesting after Clark made his picks, and I'd be curious to get your opinions on this, but if you look at the six guys that were on the team in 14, okay, Bjorn, Donaldson, Dubasan, Gallagher, McDowell, and Poulter, and you replace them with Thomas Peters, Cabrera Bayo, Fitzpatrick, Willett, Wood, and Sullivan. I'm not so sure those six guys that are on the team this year aren't stronger than the six that uh, were on the team last time. And uh, I, I, I think, you know, we're going to have our work cut out for I, us. I do too. I think this is a very good European team. I, I'm a little stunned at how much Clark is leaning on this experience card. Uh, personally, I, I mean, Thomas Peters was a no-brainer to me, and Russell Knox would have been a no-brainer. Keimer, I, you know, John Huggin made an interesting point, Ted, in his uh, piece wrapping this up, and I haven't put it on my website yet, but but he he feels like Keimer's going to be a liability, an alternate shot, because of his short game issues and that he can get – now, it tends to be on very tight grass, and I don't know what Hazeltine's going to have around the greens, but he feels like he's not going to be an alternate shot uh, player because of his uh, propensity to suddenly develop some chip yips. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I guess what I'm curious, and, and you get into this in the book, but uh, this this experienced veteran card, how, where where do you come down on how vital that really is to to these picks? You know, I I think all this stuff, Jeff, is way overblown. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I really do. I mean, it's it, this. It's going to be like any wait, other. Wait, wait, wait! You developed uh, an eighty-five page manifesto on why Tom Watson should be a captain. <laughs> Come on now, Ted. Yeah, and after after having gone through that, I think I think it's it's, it's overrated. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's it's going to be who's you know who's in form again when that that week takes place and that you know that analogy you just made about Keimer. Well, then you know what you do. You got to sit four players during the alternate shot. That's a guy that uh, he never sees the alternate shot format, but. Um, you know, the, the, I always say this about the 2014 Ryder Cup and all the heat that, that, you know, Watson got and ultimately me for picking him. The stat that got lost there was the fact that, you know, our team got beat by 35 shots in three days. I mean, for crying out loud, you could have fused Vince Lombardi, uh, Joe Torre, Red Arbach together, uh, the greatest minds in, in coaching, and there's nobody that was going to overcome that deficit. And, uh you know, I, I I had the luxury of being up close for three of these Ryder Cups and, and, you know, being in or at least hearing what the rationale was on some of these decisions that were made by captains. And these guys just, they go out and they play. And, yeah. uh, you know, one of the funniest stories, uh, and I talked about this in the book, but I remember on the sixth hole at, at uh, Glen Eagles, Mickelson comes up to Watson and he says, Captain, he said, I just want you to know, in the last five years of alternate shot play and international team competition, I have only missed five fairways total. <laughs> and Tom gets back in the cart, and he looks at me, and he says, who keeps track of that stuff? <laughs> and uh, so he sends, you know, he he really wanted to send Spieth and uh, 
Reed back out to play on Friday afternoon. He didn't because the bottom line is Spieth had told one of the assistant captains that he did not want to be paired with Patrick in alternate shot competition because of the way he was driving the ball. So Tom then threw Bradley and Mickelson back out in the afternoon in alternate shots. And they're three down after eight holes. They have not hit a fairway. And Watson walks up to the ninth tee, crosses his arms, looks up at Phil, and he says, I have a question. When is one of you two guys going to hit a fairway? (laughs) And he turns around and walks away. So, you know, you can talk about all the planning, all the bonding, all the great things that are going to happen in the team room. That's the other one that kind of I find humorous now. They talk about yeah. how important <laughs> chemistry is and, and the atmosphere in the team room. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Uh, th- that, to me, is the most overrated facet of, of all this. These mm-hmm. guys are professionals. And, uh, you know, they're just all about uh, doing one thing, and that's getting on the golf course and, and competing. And uh, it's who makes the putts and, and who competes the hardest that's going to win this thing. So, Ted, one last question. Looking out into the future at, at uh, potential captains, we've seen one guy have a bunch of success in another uh, international competition as a captain, and that's Fred Couples. Do you have any thoughts on whether or not we might see Fred as a captain of the Ryder Cup. Well, I'll tell you what, Joe. When I I was the guy that made the calls uh, for the task force, and uh, I'm not going to mention the names because I don't want to violate confidentiality, but of the four players uh, that were on the five players that were on that task force, four of the five, three of the five players, and one of the former captains told me. In the first phone calls that I ever made, that Fred Couples absolutely had to be the next Ryder Cup captain, and I would have bet everything I had that that's what was going to unfold. And I, I remember, uh, you know, Davis actually was one of them. And uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, when he said that to me, I, I said, "Well, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that because Fred didn't seem to be too engaged when we were at Medina." And uh, Davis says, "I realize that, but he said what you got to do is you got to support him." or surround him with uh, vice captains that are detail-oriented that can do the things that he's not going to be engaged in and uh, just let him do what he does best. And he said the players love playing for him. So, you know, I think Fred Couples in Paris is still possibly um, in in the mix, Joe. I, I, I really do. Then I think after that, no question, um, I think Stricker is going to be the Ryder Cup captain at Whistling Straits. He'll break the mold in being the first Ryder Cup captain that will not have won a major championship. Uh, if it's not couples uh, in, in Paris, it's going to be Furyk. Furyk will probably be the captain in 22 if he's not in 18. And then you can go to the bank on Phil Mickelson being the Ryder Cup captain at uh, Beth Page. Now, Ted, I, I know how said last question, but I, I have to – get this clarified uh from the book you're you were you were driving around with fred and of course he was more interested in hanging out with michael jordan at medina but you asked phil mickelson at the scottish open pro-am you talked about phil uh during the round or excuse me about fred during the round uh and you asked him why he was so successful as a president's cup captain now was phil was he uh playing with you when he mentioned that that fred studies the position of the sun to determine who's going to have a great week was he having fun with you or was he serious no he he was he was dead serious (laughs) no come on come on (laughs) what what does he do i mean what what 
where, first of all, uh, where does know, he pull these charts up? Does he even have internet access? I don't know. Somebody's got to be feeding Fred the charts, but uh, but I, I no, I, I believe that. And I, in fact, I I said to Phil, um, you know, have you? Uh, I, I didn't say have you talked to Tom about this because I knew I probably knew what Tom's reaction was. Oh. I, I think I said, have you talked to Andy North about this? Oh. And Phil said, no, no, those guys have got their own way of doing it. They're not going to listen to me. But no, that's a true story, and I I I believe that. <laughs> and you know, he went into some detail about. If you study these these lunar tables or <laughs> solar tables that, uh, you know, if the three of us were, uh, if you're analyzing how our week's going to be, uh, two of us are going to have a bad Thursday and <laughs> one oh, of us is going to have a great Thursday. And the whole idea is to really understand who's having great days and put them together. Wow. Well, that's, uh, that. well, yeah. he, you can't argue with his success. They've had some great runs with the President's Cup. Um well, Ted, this has been so enjoyable. Uh, there's so much more in the book that uh, I had on my list here that we can't get to, and I don't, I don't even want to spoil it anyway. I want people to buy the book because it, it's what's neat about your book, Ted, is it, it, we're focusing on the Ryder Cup portion, uh, but obviously your uh, the title doesn't even mention the Ryder Cup, but it, you get into a lot of different elements that, that are behind the scenes in the game, and it's a uh, it's a uh, and then there's also sort of a, a a media how to handle a media firestorm element that's uh, just great reading for anybody and uh, you just for uh, for a guy who isn't a writer you sure made a a great breezy uh, fun read and and uh, really awesome behind the scenes kind of stuff so congratulations on on the book. Well, I appreciate that and and there's there's two people I always need to acknowledge when when I talk about the book and and. You know, I, I I am proud of the fact, Jeff, that I I did do 100 percent of the the writing in the book. But Dave Shedlosky, veteran golf writer, uh-huh. was Dave was kind of my advisor, and and you know I would write these chapters and I would send them to Dave, and he would give me feedback, and and you know I'd tweak them or do whatever he he suggested. But Dave was insurmountably important in the whole process, and then certainly classics of golf publishing and Mike Beckridge, because this thing uh, began as a self-publishing effort right. and ironically and this is i guess the good thing about social media something good happened to me you know with that but uh, when i got my manuscript done i just took a picture of the notebook it was in and and uh, tweeted it and uh you know mike called me the following week we i'd never met him and, and he said hey i saw where you're writing a book would you send me the manuscript i'd love to read it maybe we'd be interested in publishing it and uh you know he he read it liked it and, and the rest was history so that was a uh, those were two very important people in this process for me. Yeah, great. Well, that's it's. I I'm really thrilled they published it, and uh, I think that uh, you know maybe a lot of people might might be uh, scared off if they they think it's just going to be a, a sort of a rehash of uh, of what you went through with uh, the Holy and Poulter thing. But I think they'll be uh, regretting it that they don't pick it up, and because there's just uh, you learn a lot about what goes on behind the scenes in, in golf and the five families and television and the Ryder Cup and uh, and like I said the Ryder Cup stuff is so entertaining House is going to enjoy this on his uh, summer break so Ted thank you so much for uh, for joining us and and uh, uh, hope you enjoy the Ryder Cup yeah thank you Ted hey thanks guys no thank you guys for giving me the opportunity Hey, everybody, there's a home burglary every 13 seconds. Pretty depressing, I know. And most of them happen in broad daylight. Burglar ringing your doorbell to make sure you're away, and then they go and they break in. And Ring Video Doorbell has been proven to stop burglaries before they happen by allowing you to see and speak to anyone approaching your door using your smartphone. 
Ring is using their advanced motion detection technology to protect your entire property with the Ring of Security Kit. The kit includes a Ring video doorbell for the front door and a Ring stick-up cam, the wireless weatherproof HD camera to keep an eye on other parts of your property. Ring video doorbell and stick-up cam both install in minutes and working together. They provide plenty of great 24-hour 7, 24-7 monitoring of your entire home, whether you're in the living room or thousands of miles away. Now, I happen to have just purchased a ring using the Shack House, a uh, little discount that we're, uh, we're offering, $50 off. I bought my own because I have a FedEx man who likes to play football. I know I've told you. And sure enough, I'm pretty sure when he delivered that ring, he gave it an old heave. I don't know why. All my other delivery men are so nice, but I got one. He just likes to throw my packages up on the doorstep. I'm thinking that ring is going to kind of discourage him uh, going forward when, it, when, it, when it's up there on my door. And I can't wait to install it today. So for a limited time, you get $50 off the Ring of Security kit. It's the lowest price anywhere. Go to ring.com slash shackhouse now. Join hundreds of thousands who protect their home with Ring. It's easy, it's clean, it looks good, and it works. That's ring.com slash shackhouse for $50 off. And House, you got a little word from our good friends at Me Undies, I understand. My friends, you've heard me talk about my Me Undies many times here on the Shack House. I am on vacation this week, but I am not on vacation from me undies. I got them on right now. They are the performance wear that I have come to know and love. Made out of sustainably sourced modal, a fabric that's twice as soft as cotton. Nothing can describe the fit and feel of me undies, my friends. Once you try them on, you'll understand why they are called the world's most comfortable underwear. Also, the underwear of choice for house. If you don't love your first pair of me undies, they're free. No questions asked. Me undies has dozens of styles, limited edition prints, anything you want. If if making a statement with your underwear is something that you are into, my friends, shipping is free in the U.S. and Canada. You can save up to eight dollars a pair with the Me Undies subscription plan. Get the subscription or a single pair. They'll do either way. 20% off your first order when you go to MeUndies.com backslash house. That's MeUndies.com backslash H-O-U-S-E for 20% off your first order. MeUndies.com backslash house. All right, Jeff, you know what time it is. 30 seconds to better. It's time for the speed round. Jeff Shackelford. Speaking of speed, quickest way to improve your game is the Callaway Instruction Series, 30 seconds to better. Give Hank Haney and other teaching pros 30 seconds. That's not very much time. They'll improve your game just like that. 30 seconds to better is available on the Callaway TV app for Roku and the new Apple TV. So, Jeff... Let's kick off the speed round. I have a question for you. I've right. been hearing some stories about Tiger Woods' dining room. Oh, geez. And it's filling up with boxes. What is going on with Tiger's dining room? Yeah, this is one of those little silly things that went viral. Nota Begay on the Golf Channel mentioned, I think, on one of the post-game shows that he visited Tiger at the house and the dining room is just filled, filled with boxes from the UPS man, from all the equipment manufacturers who are, 
who are trying to lobby Tiger to to join their uh, their team now that Nike's no longer making equipment. And you know, I read it and I thought about it. I thought, now wait a second. There's a forty. This house is at least forty thousand square feet. It's like the size of an IKEA. And, and wait, you're telling me that he's he, all these companies, a company like Titleist, where he didn't have maybe the best ending. They're sending him stuff. And, and the more I thought about it, I, and I'm sure there probably were a few boxes in the house, but it's just one of those. I feel like it's one of those stories where we're trying to let everybody know, particularly sponsors, that Tiger is just chomping. He's 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 excited. He's thinking about it, and I just don't think he is. I I, I and you know I feel I'm really happy he's taking this time away because he needs to clear his head. He's had he's got injury scars, and the only way to deal with that is to just 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 stay away from the game. And he's doing the right thing until he's ready. But this idea that come on, he's just that they're all just the guy, the UPS guys, you know, uh, knocking on the door every day. I, I'm, I may, I'm sure he's been sent some things, but come on. Really? He doesn't want to play golf right now. Huh? I, so you're incredulous. I know I'm, I'm blasting right by the speed round conceit here. Yeah, now right. I got to pick we, we never obey it anyway. I, it's true. We never do really make any of this very speedy. <laughs> um, I believe the whole thing. I believe a, the tiger's chomping at the bit. B, that golf can't wait to have Tiger back. C, well, that I don't disagree with. Every manufacturer on the planet is sending him something to try and catch his eye. And D, Tiger's trying some stuff out. Well, I have a little inside knowledge that we may learn here in the next few weeks. Oh, uh, Shaq uh, knowledge. Shaq yeah, dies. Let's been, hear I've it. been hearing rumblings that there's uh, there have been some, some uh, investigative uh, types down in the uh, the area checking out to see if he actually is uh, practicing at all or, or trying to, to to make a comeback and I think we'll we'll get a little more insight on that here pretty soon and then we're also going to just kind of uh, be exposed to Tiger at the Ryder Cup he'll be driving a cart around supposedly he's, he's one of the 400 vice captains and he's uh, Davis Love says he's texting him all the time with his his pairings and who should be picked and so he'll be kind of making his return to to uh, the limelight at the Cup. I mean, he'll try to stay behind the scenes as best as he can and, and leave it to Davis. But uh, look at you, uh, teaser, Tiger teaser. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, 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 I'm not feeling it. I'm feeling like he's just trying to keep sponsors happy. All right. That uh, that have stuck with him. So, all right, House, you touched on it before our Ted Bishop interview. You absolutely love these playoff mustaches that Ricky Fowler and Justin Thomas are growing, don't you? So here's the thing that made me feel very, very, very good. I actually, in one of my many fantasy golf forums, uh, put a large amount of stock in Ricky Fowler this week. I'm very for, happy for to report. For the Deutsche Bank or for last week? For the last week, for the, for the, for okay, the Barclays. Okay, okay. I Sorry. actually liked him quite a bit. I thought, he, you know, he's... I, the, the form that he was showing yeah. um, in the Olympics, it felt like a breakthrough kind of moment was coming. So I, I went ahead and invested a little in Ricky. Now I'm very happy to report that I did not invest any of my hard-earned greenbacks on Ricky. And the experience I had Sunday after the way that he finished at the Barclays was relief because I looked at myself in the mirror and said... God bless, I did not bet on a dude with an awful mustache. I mean, you can't, you look yourself in the mirror and say, uh, 
did, you know, I put, I, I put a lot of my hard-earned, you know, uh, blood, sweat, and tears money on this guy. And, the, and you look at him and you say, how could I possibly invest in that dude? So I was so, happy to take just the fantasy loss, not an actual money loss. The okay. mustaches are awful. Yeah. Awful. It's not Errol Flynn. It's not Johnny Depp for you. It's it's it's. Well, it, it's not even you know. I, the hockey guys <laughs> do it right. They come by it honestly. Those guys can grow facial hair as opposed yeah. to Ricky and Justin Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're clear. House, no. If you can't grow facial hair, don't go for the playoff. That's that's my view. Yeah. Well, they are going for the mustache because they can't do the beard. Of course, Graham Dillette did the the uh, beard and uh his short game went to to uh to hell so yeah but graham delette can have a beard the, the, oh, yeah. the man bombs the golf ball have yeah. a beard graham delette <laughs> uh all right so what else have we got in the speed round we've got uh oh how about this usga rna rollout did you i'm, I'm curious because i i follow this and i kind of know a few things um behind the scenes or have for a few years of where this was coming from and why this is coming but did you see these stories about the 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 beginning of this rollout that they want to uh tone down the rules did, did give me your well, sort of knee-jerk reaction yeah when the, you, the you story that. wasn't that the rules themselves are under review for you know fine-tuning and and making them more relevant to the way everybody that's not a pro plays the game instead the stories were about uh trying to make the language more clear yeah. And the thing that struck me is how disconnected the ruling bodies are with the way that, at least here in the U.S., most of us play the game. The, we, the, it, it is perhaps the only sport in which the professionals play under a set of rules that mostly don't apply to the way that the rest of us play the game. I mean, it's very curious in basketball and baseball and in, in most of the other sort of major sports here in the U.S. You can largely play by the same rules as the professionals. Not so when it comes to golf, because none of us or, or you know, save for a rarefied few that get to play perfectly manicured courses with caddies and four caddies and, and, and so forth have the benefit of playing under the pristine conditions with all of the eyes in the world, helping the professionals play a game that is absolutely unlike the game that the rest of us play 99.3% of the time. So I uh, am looking forward to anything that would have the, the impact of making the rules less complicated, less cumbersome, less, uh, um, you know, uh, in, intrusive and invasive, anything that's going to help, you know, make the rules uh, stop cutting the legs out from, from my enjoyment of the game, I, I support, but I wasn't really blown away by the news stories. Well, yeah, and that was because they rolled it out as this Grow the Game initiative. This is going to grow the game. This is the equivalent of the uh, King James Bible to the Bible and and uh, nobody oh, really the, yeah, wants the living to... Bible to the King, the living King James Bible. Bible. Thank right? you. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Thank you. I'm glad you know your Bible. Uh, I'm glad that Holy <laughs> Cross education <laughs> paid off. Uh, you see, the the Pepperdine people right now are just going. No, he didn't come here. He, he well, yeah. In here. between gambling um, and martinis, I, I have to spend <laughs> my downtime somehow. Yeah. 
Um, so what's sad is they, they tried this. It's, you know, the phrase grow the game is just, it's just getting so old. We heard it at the Olympics and it's, it's just become this go-to thing. And then they, they throw that in on the rules thing. It's not going to, not one person's staying away from golf because, oh, the, the, the decisions in the book is two inches thick. So I'm sure the rules people who are working on this, and they have a lot of great people behind the scenes who they, I think are getting together. Uh, I'm, I, I believe Doug Ferguson's going to write a piece about this and, and how they've been doing this kind of on their own time out of a love for the game. And they know that when you read these things, it reads like a, 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 law, uh, a law school uh, manifesto. It's just awful. It's all this legal jargon and big words. And they want to trim all that out and really try to, to kind of make it a little bit more accessible. And so it's a noble effort. It's a good thing. But as you say... Ultimately, what we still need probably are some relaxed rules, which Golf Channel did a, a cool thing on uh, with the, enough rules that you could just fit on a bag tag. That's and it. it was, yeah, it was great. And it was just like the perfect thing to make somebody say, okay, I got it. I got the general gist. And then when they watched a pro golf event, they would get why they have more specific rules. But hey, look, the rest of us don't play by that or need to play by that. And they just that's a hard thing for them to accept. Um, and I don't Why? think that'll be a result of this. I don't understand that. Uh, you have too many lawyers that, that are involved in all this. They've invested so much time. Here's a big part of it, and this just drives me nuts. You know, They've invested so much time in memorizing the rules uh, that they feel like, well, gosh, I can't believe we've gone to all this. I've devoted my life to memorizing all these things and knowing them, and, and then people don't take them seriously. And I always just find that comical when they when they belittle golf pros for not knowing the rules. You know, this is your profession. You need to have studied this. And, and then the player doesn't know the rule. Well, it's because the decision book literally is two inches thick. The rules are hard to read, and yeah, the players should know the rules, but you can't know them all. And even even people who are rules experts don't get a hundred on the on the rules exam they do. So it, it's a it's a it's a little world that's in a bubble that that there is a group trying to kind of uh, change that enough, but the kind of uh, big picture people, supposedly big picture thinking people in the uh, USGA and RNA still kind of cling to this old school uh, mentality that these rules are really important the way they've been the way they've been structured and as you know most golfers kind of now uh, roll their eye at that so roll eyes at that yeah and it's yeah. Uh, so it'll be an interesting it's going to be a fun thing to watch play out though I think because um, we just keep having these incidents at the tournaments that 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 don't look uh, don't look good yeah, well, that's, well you know, they, they need to figure out the rules they want the professionals to play by that take into account the way the modern game is played yeah. and the way that, that the courses are being, um, you know, pruned and designed and developed and the challenges that uh, that represents and presents um, to competing, fairly competing the, the money tour. But to me, call me when the bag tag rules are ready. That's when I'm interested in hearing about a rules update. Otherwise, <laughs> I'll, I, I really I'll get could you care one. less. I'll get you one. My buddy Charlie Reimer from Morning Drive. I, I know he's got a box of them somewhere uh, down there at, at Golf Channel headquarters. It was a cool little initiative they they uh, they unveiled. I don't know how well it went over with the the governing bodies, but it was uh, I thought it was a great idea. So yeah. Uh, well, that was another not very quick speed round. Um, <laughs> anything That's how else we, we do it to... on the checkout. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, with that, I think that's probably our, uh, our, our cue to sign off, right, House? Anything else you got? No, that's it. Let's get uh, ready for a wonderful Labor Day weekend, another great uh, tour event at the TPC Boston, and maybe somebody, one of these hard-charging brothers from the back are coming up, want a Ryder Cup spot. Maybe we'll see something we don't expect. All right, House. Well, if you get a little bored there on vacation, uh, just a little reminder from our friends at Callaway, uh, who sponsor today's show, as they always do, that their favorite, our favorite, my favorite online live show from Callaway, Callaway Live, it rolls on this week with former NFL coach Herm Edwards, because what better time to talk with Herm than right before the season? Uh, and the week after that, Chris Harrison from The Bachelor, I know that's your your favorite show to study, Uh Question is, will he hand out roses in Carlsbad? Tune in to find out. Watch these in over 40 episodes of Callaway Live at CallawayGolf.com slash Callaway Live or just Google Callaway Live. Comes right up. Uh, my favorite episode, House, of course, is Season 2, Episode 7. Uh, that is a shameless plug, folks. That episode featured uh, the Shack House participants, and uh, I know you probably don't like, since you don't like to listen to our shows, you probably haven't gone back to relive that one, but I think it's a good chat, and uh, I think we had a lot of fun with Harry Arnett, and uh, they've just had some tremendous guests lately. Greg Maddox just most recently, um, the folks at Seamus Golf, they just uh, have such a diverse group of guests, and it's really a cool show. Well, so yeah, check w- out Callaway Live. For sure. One of them that's worth watching is Ted Bishop, who had an awesome that's Callaway right. Live. Our uh, guest today, he did. Yeah. He did. And we thank Ted Bishop again for joining us. And uh, he was just super. And we look forward to talking more about the Ryder Cup in the upcoming weeks here on Shaku! This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.